4: have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, May 13th, 2011. This week, episode 208 comes to you from Studio C in beautiful McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnig. Hey, Joe,
1: it's a beautiful day today.
4: Yes, it is. At the controls is our engineer, Austin Stone Cold Novak. Today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question, an interview with Dr. Richard Corsi, professor at the University of Texas, Austin, and president of Indoor Air 2011. We'll have our halftime What's New segment with IE Connections, Glenn Feldman, and then we'll go back to the interview and finish up with our roundup and bring in our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. You can check out our program at www.iaqradio.com. We're on Facebook at IAQ Radio Program. And before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors
1: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at IEConnections.com.
4: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop, at johndon.com. Clean Facts and
1: Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services
4: and products. All right, to contact the show, you can just go to the link on our invitation or go to our website, iaqradio.com. Hit the link that says go to the show, and you can join us live there through the Talk Shoe website. You can also stream the show from our website or go to the show once again and download the show from the Itu- from the, uh, Talk Shoe website and, of course, from iTunes. We also have abih iicrc and acac continuing education credits just email me and request a quiz at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com last but not least please visit the iaq training institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com z man how about today's trivia question thanks joe
1: win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question every week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text it in via your computer. Congratulations Andy Krasowski, Comcast Metal Products, Mars, Pennsylvania, for yet another win, uh, being the first person to answer last week's trivia question, identifying the World Health Organization as one of the original agencies and the health arm of the United Nations. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, May 13th, 2011, has been sponsored by cochran and associates the indoor air quality industry's dedicated marketing and public relations firm now for this week's trivia question name the industrial designer and architect who designed the university
4: of texas tower back to you joe all right cliff and welcome back andy Dr. Richard Coursey is the ECH Bantel Professor of Professional Practice in the Department of Civil, Architectural, and Environmental Engineering at the University of Texas at Austin. He has a BS degree in Environmental Resources Engineering from Humboldt State in 19, well we don't have to go into the date, an MS and a PhD in Civil Engineering from the University of California, Davis, respectively. Dr. Corsi has been a longtime researcher focusing on sources of indoor air pollution, the physics and chemistry of indoor air, and human exposure to indoor air pollutants and control of indoor air pollutants. We had him on the show back in June of 2010, had done some preliminary discussion of the Indoor Air 2011 show back then, and then we went into a lot of detail on his work at the University of Texas and also talked about VOCs, research sampling routes of exposure, a little on chlorine dioxide, etc. So if you get a chance to check out that show, go back into the archives. It was a great show. Dr. Corsi is back. He is the president this year of Indoor Air 2011, and we welcome him back to discuss and preview for us IA 2011. We've got some music for Dr. Corsi. Okay, Doctor Corsi, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Thank you, Joe. Welcome, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. It was been uh, almost a year—hard to believe. Time flies. <laughs> yeah, time flies when you're having fun. I'll bet you've had a busy year preparing ben for <laughs> Indoor Air 2011. Let's get uh, first. Let's get the dates out to listeners. What when will IA 2011 take place?
2: Uh, the conference will take place from June 5th to June 10th. Of this
4: year, a uh, little little more than three weeks away. So we'll be in Austin. I hope to be down there. I looked at flights today; they still look pretty reasonable. Actually, the rates went down a little bit. I was happy to see that. Oh, that's good. That's yeah, good. it is. Even from Pittsburgh here, Pittsburgh to Austin can be a little pricey, but it was nice today. Anyway, um, you've got ten thematic areas for this conference, and what I, I put in the invitation to listeners was that we were going to preview the conference, but also try to. Get those that aren't able to attend a little bit of information on what will be happening, and maybe they can learn a few things just based on our rundown of what's going to happen at the conference here. The 10 are, let's go through them one at a time. One is global climate, and there's a little description low energy and weatherized building, climate changes, and effects on IEQ. Can you summarize for our listeners what that particular thematic area is about?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, this is almost sort of a miniature conference within the conference. Many of these thematic areas are, and um, basically, we the, the papers and forums and workshops in this area kind of go in two directions. One is what effect do buildings themselves, especially building energy use, have on on climate change, but also the feedback of of um, how does climate change affect how we operate buildings and and indoor environmental quality in buildings. And one of the really exciting things around that feedback mechanism is the institutes of medicine uh has has just finished a study on the effects of indoor uh uh, i'm sorry on the effects of climate change on indoor air quality and they're going to have a panel of the committee members at indoor air 2011 and hopefully i I hope i believe that they're going to be unveiling the results of their study at the conference so it's it's a pretty exciting panel discussion and it's really cutting edge
4: well that's interesting i know that's been a big issue lately and you've got a, a Pretty well-known speaker, a past guest for IAQ Radio, as a keynote on I think it's Monday, Joe Steebrook, and Joe is going to talk a little bit about weatherization issues, I guess, and indoor air quality. Has that been something you've been hearing a lot about?
2: Yeah, it is, and that's sort of especially from well, from both the practitioner and the researcher. You know, researchers are very interested in in sort of the details of what happens when you seal up a building and how how well, how much can you seal up a building before people start getting sick and that type of thing? And I think for practitioners, there's a, there's a substantial market out there. There's a lot of buildings that are being weatherized right now. And Joe is going to speak on specifically how weatherization affects indoor air quality uh, in buildings and oftentimes the unintended health consequences of over-weatherizing buildings. It's a, I think it's, a, it's a, one of the keynote addresses that's going to draw a lot of attention at the conference.
4: You know, you mentioned practitioners and researchers before we go into some of these other subjects. Maybe you could overview for listeners how it is you plan on, or what the, I guess what the um, the theory is behind getting the researchers and practitioners together at this conference, and how that may differ from past conferences.
2: Yeah, sure. Um- well, I'll tell you, my personal philosophy is that it's really important to get researchers and practitioners speaking to one another. I think researchers have to know what, uh, what's on the mind of practitioners, what practitioners' needs are. And I think it's also important for practitioners to hear about cutting-edge research and what's coming down the pipeline and what they're going to be dealing with in the future. So at Indoor Air 2011, we forged uh, sort of a conference within the conference called an Innovations in Practice Program, and that program has been headed by Don Weeks, who I think, I think you probably know. Absolutely. Uh, and that program is gonna involve a number of sessions on case studies and field studies. We have this really exciting uh, panel discussion on Monday and Tuesday in the afternoon, lengthy panel discussions, where practitioners in advance of the conference have come up with a whole series of questions uh, for practitioners on issues that they need resolved. And so the technical chair for the conference, Glenn Morrison, and I, uh, in conjunction with Don Week, went out and Don Weeks went out and found the right researchers to try to answer those questions for practitioners. And so we're going to get everybody in the room at the same time uh, to address this series of practitioner-driven questions. We also have to go ahead and. I'm, sorry, I'm just
4: curious, what type of questions have you seen? What type of questions are being asked or, or presented? at yeah, the... so,
2: yeah. So. For example, um, um, there's a forum on I think it's Monday or Tuesday of the conference. I can't remember the day, but uh, it's on <coughs> excuse me mold moisture and remediation issues. And uh, there were a series of questions asked by practitioners. One of them was, for example, how close are we to actually developing an exposure level for mold uh, um, or different types of mold? I think another question within that within that uh, group was. What types of uh, moisture measurements and tools are available that are proven uh, and can help to identify risks to occupants of buildings as well as the structure of the building? And um, I think the third question within that group was, are mold remediation methods that are in use today, that are kind of standards, really effective at protecting the health of occupants? So those are practitioner-driven questions, and we brought together some some great researchers from around the world actually to help
0: answer those
4: questions. Now, for those that won't be able to attend for any number of reasons, and I will be there and I will, just so listeners know, I'm going to attend, I'll try and attend the sessions we speak about here in particular, I know I'll attend that one, I'll try and summarize things the best I can for listeners on a show right after Indoor Air 2011, but I'm curious with respect to the information that comes out at the conference, Dr. Corsi, how will you then down the road get that information into practitioners' hands? Is there Are there any plans for that?
3: That's, a, that's
2: actually a great question. So um, before the conference, if people are sort of interested in not all the details, but some of the details, you can actually go to our website right now, which is www.indoorair2011.org. And on the website, you can actually uh, click on the button program and under program you'll find an itinerary planner. And within that planner you can actually go and sample a lot of the presentations that will be made at the conference and there will be a half page or one page abstract about the subject that's going to be described uh, by the presenter. And sometimes those abstracts actually have enough information in them that you can you know, glean some really good information just from the abstract will have actually research results and that type of thing. Um, So that's what people can do before the conference and that will also be available after the conference. Um, The proceedings from the conference usually become available to the public two or three months uh, after the conference Um, and they can be purchased from, I I believe they'll be sold by the International Society for Indoor Air Quality Uh, and you can go to their website and get the information on how to purchase the proceedings. And then uh we're also going to try very hard and we're in the process right now of getting um, different journals and and trade magazines and that kind of thing to do um, special issues that are focused on some of the hot topics at indoor air after the conference so that we can disseminate that information and there's some legacy from the conference through journals and magazines and trade journals and that type of thing. Uh,
4: Cliff,
1: sure. Uh Dr. Corsi, another uh focus is sustainable and healthy buildings. Um, Can you tell listeners a little bit about um, some of the subjects that you're going to be covering under that heading?
2: Sure. Um, I think we have something like 25 hours of podium presentations and sessions and forums and workshops on that subject, so it's a very robust thematic area within the conference. uh, Yelena Shrebrick from Penn State University will actually be uh, one of the keynote speakers uh, discussing um, sustainable buildings and what we've learned about indoor air quality and, and sustainable buildings and different features of sustainable buildings and how they affect indoor air. But in terms of the, the actual sessions and the forums, there'll be a lot of discussion about energy conservation, uh, uh, examples of... Um, energy reduction in buildings with, without harming indoor air, and then examples of things that have gone awry when we've tried to conserve energy in buildings. There's a, there's a wonderful uh, workshop, I think it's on Wednesday of the conference, that's focused on lead, lead buildings, um, and really uh, focused on how we might do a better job in rating systems like that from the indoor air quality standpoint. Um, and then there's a series of sessions on on sustainable materials and what they emit and how they chemically react and how they break down and you know which kinds of materials are truly sustainable and which kind are, are may, maybe have problems and shouldn't be labeled as sustainable. So those are the kinds of issues that will be covered within that thematic area.
4: Now, w- when we go through these thematic areas, before we go and we'll continue down the list here for listeners, but I'm curious, how did? Your group, you're the president of this large convention coming up here. How did you go about choosing these areas and and deciding what are the most important topics right now with respect to indoor air quality issues?
2: Well, we, we had a call for papers back last August, a call for abstracts last August, and we kind of set forth what we thought were Important thematic areas and encourage people to submit papers within those areas. Of course, people could submit within any area, but we received uh, 1,100 abstracts uh, for for presentations from from people from 51 different countries. And then we uh, went through those abstracts and we kind of called down the abstracts to a smaller number, uh, invited people to submit papers, and then we had a very thorough. You know, it took about a month to review all the papers that people submitted, and. Through that process, we were able to group papers into the thematic areas and you know, basically maintain the high-quality papers for the conference. Uh, we also received something like 75 hours of proposals for forums and workshops from people, very detailed proposals, and we simply didn't have enough time in the conference in the week for all those forums and workshops, so we selected the forums and the workshops. We had an international committee that actually selected the forums and workshops that made the most sense in terms of really timely issues, really cutting edge issues, uh, and we ended up with about 40 hours during the week of forums and workshops. So somebody literally could spend almost all of their time at this conference in just forums and workshops and never actually go to a, a technical session. You know?
4: What's the difference between a forum and a workshop?
2: So forums are—they're um, shorter, first of all. Forums are about one hour in length. Uh, they're all one hour in length. And forums are usually much more targeted. So um, one or two questions might be raised uh, in that forum, or the idea is to answer one or two questions. And there might be one or two presenters in a forum, maybe three in some forums. Each presenter would make maybe a 10 minute presentation, and then it would be open up for audience discussion. So there would be a lot of interplay between the audience and the presenters. And the idea is to kind of get input from everybody and, and try to Answer a question. In some cases, the question isn't isn't entirely answered because people have differing opinions, but that's important to hear. But forums are much more focused. Workshops are usually about two hours, uh, and so you can cover more material in a workshop. Um, and depending upon the specific workshop, um, you know there might there might even be things like breakout groups where the audience is asked to get into smaller groups, and each group would uh, address a specific question, and then come back and give a response as to how that group, that audience group, actually uh, wants to respond to an issue. So there's there's a, a lot more flexibility with workshops in terms of what can be done, but they tend to be maybe less focused than forums because they are a little bit longer.
4: Be- before we go back into the thematic areas, I'm curious, you had all these papers that were sent in for review after your call for papers, and I, I didn't really help prepare you for this question so I understand if you don't know but I'm just curious what were the areas that seemed to get the most papers submitted for I mean was it you know moisture and mold uh, ventilation uh, the green buildings issue were they kind of evenly distributed or maybe you don't know
2: you know you just mentioned three, are three that are three they're really big ones and probably evenly distributed but I, if I had to pick one it would probably be the moisture and mold um, I think we had something like I think we ended up with after we went through the whole review process, and unfortunately, we had to drop some pretty good papers because we just didn't have enough room. But I think with moisture and mold, we ended up with around 30 hours of podium presentations at the conference. I mean, somebody could literally come to the conference and just go to nothing but moisture and mold you know uh, presentations if they wanted to. <laughs> um, so that was that. That one's huge, and it and and the neat thing about that one again, back to this practitioner sort of research or interplay is the moisture and mold uh, sessions and forums. They, they span everything from, you know, very practical uh, forums dealing with, you know, how, how best to measure for, you know, mold or, co- or collect samples for mold, all the way up to really cutting-edge research on the toxicological effects of, you know, mycotoxins and that type of thing, and everything in between. So there's this really nice spectrum of presentations in that area. I think ventilation and thermal comfort was also a, a very big area if you combine those two, and then green and sustainable buildings. I would also say that the, the the other one that we received, and I'm really pleased about this, that we received a lot of great papers for was just human health issues. So we have a lot of papers on on asthma and allergy and endocrine disruptors and, you know, eye symptomology, what kinds of pollutants cause eye irritation in buildings, and, and there's even one or two really good papers on, on the potential for certain pollutants to cause autism in children, hmm. um, from fetal exposures. Uh, that paper, those papers come out of Scandinavia.
4: No, I'm so, uh, a really
2: robust health program as well, and I think that's that's something that I'm very pleased about.
4: You know, last week we had uh, Dr. Krasinowski from the World Health Organization. Talking about some of their publications on indoor air quality, and in talking to him and reviewing his site, one of the areas that I, you know, I guess people in the United States don't always think of as a big issue is the the problem people have with cooking indoors, and, and the the problems that people have with respect to using you know fossil fuels. Essentially, a lot of times uh, for you know even you know dung and etc. Cooking indoors. Do you have any tracks like that?
2: Yeah, actually we do. Um, we have an entire track on indoor air quality in developing countries, and almost every paper in that track is on is on pollutant emissions from unvented cook stoves. And the papers basically break out into several different topics, but one is just simply field studies, measurements have been made in people's homes in developing countries. The next one is on health effects uh, in those developing countries from exposure to um, combustion products from cook stoves. And then the third area is on cook stoves themselves and how they might be improved to um, reduce the amount of exposure of people to products of incomplete combustion in, in homes. And those are all podium sessions where people will be getting up and talking about their experiences, uh, their research, their practice in developing countries. And then there'll be actually two workshops the next day that are really focused on cook stoves and how we can try to improve them and how we might get know, sort of technology dissemination to these countries. Um I that that whole thematic area is funded by the National Science Foundation and I'm very proud of the fact that uh, graduate students at the University of Texas at Austin have sort of taken the bull by the horn, so to speak. And uh <laughs> okay. and they're actually implementing that entire that entire thematic area. So they're they're the ones that are putting it on.
1: Great. Cliff, yes doctor another concentration is outdoor connections. Uh can you let listeners know a little bit more about that.
2: yeah, sure. so um, the idea here is that air doesn't ch- you know change it's still air when outdoor air comes indoors. sometimes we as a society, especially in the United States, like to like to think of outdoor air and indoor air as if somehow the gases that are inside buildings are no longer really air. Uh, so the idea here is that you know much of what we see indoors is of indoor source origin, but a lot of it is also coming in from outdoors, from transportation sources. So, for example, if you have an elementary school near a busy intersection, um, you know there's probably a fair amount of diesel particulate matter that gets into the classrooms in that elementary school that children are exposed to. So, that stream of, of presentations, the outdoor indoor connections, is really focused on how outdoor pollutants get through the building envelope, get into buildings. Uh, what levels of different types of outdoor pollutants we find indoors. Some of those outdoor pollutants are chemically reactive, and when they come indoors, they engage in all sorts of new chemistry that they don't engage in outdoors. And so the stream is really the link between outdoor pollution and the indoor environment.
4: You know, I've got uh, someone that's been listening pretty regularly here lately, and they've been texting us about FEMA trailers, and I'm just curious, do you have any presentations that maybe they could look at the abstract for on the FEMA trailer issue and the problems within?
2: Yeah, so we have I think three entire sessions, about six hours of presentations just on formaldehyde of the conference. I think they're all on the first day of the conference, and I'm searching my memory there are 800 and something papers for the conference, but I do think that there is maybe two or three papers on FEMA trailers, and they're they're within those sessions on the first day that are labeled as formaldehyde. So again, if a, if a user goes to our website and looks looks for the itinerary planner, they can click on Monday, look for the formaldehyde sessions, and they'll see the titles for the different papers, and they can actually click on those titles, and they'll get a description of the presentation, and I'm pretty sure there are a couple on FEMA trailers
4: great i think that would be helpful and i'd urge the listener to go ahead and look at those and then let us know uh, if you have any questions from those and i'll go to the conference and report back all right the next uh, before we go to halftime the next thematic area is human health Uh, children's health infectious disease transmission emerging contaminants i know you mentioned that as one of the areas that garnered a lot of interest uh, with respect to the papers and that you were happy about that so you've already commented a little bit on that but I'm curious that was one of my areas of interest and when I was looking at the the PDF for the uh, the presentation conferences presentations I noticed you had look I, I don't have it in front of me but like a workshop or a forum with some MDs it looked like and and assessments and working with MDs on assessments can you Talk to us a little bit about what people can expect in that session.
3: Yeah,
2: I think that's it's a uh, workshop. I believe it it's either on Monday or Tuesday of the conference. But um, Carl Grimes actually helped to organize that workshop. Um, and the idea in that workshop, which does involve two medical doctors, I think two of the four participants are actually MDs that are flying in for the conference, uh, is how practitioners, in particular. Um, Industrial hygienists and others who go out and do building investigations, how they can work more closely with with the with the medical community to get them involved in those investigations, to kind of clue them into the types of things that they might be want you know might be wanting to look for in patients, where the you know the doctor might might identify a problem as a potential indoor air quality problem in the home. Um, so it's really trying. It's a it's a workshop that's trying to improve collaboration in a sense between actual medical doctors, those that are actually seeing patients and practitioners who do building investigations.
4: I'm curious, in your experience, have you done that type of thing? I know you mostly do research, but you've also done, as a part of your research, a lot of indoor air quality investigation. And I'm curious, have you had to ever work with physicians in that respect?
2: I have not. No, I have not. I'm... uh, I've done some field work, but it's you know mostly been focused on indoor air quality in in K through 12 schools. I tend not to do a lot of work in people's homes. One of the things that that most researchers should be cognizant of is that we try not to um, compete, if you will, with with consultants and practitioners. And so that's sort of an area that I see as almost competing with with people that make a living doing it. So. Um, that's something that's grilled into us as academics when we first <laughs> take our
4: faculty positions. I can understand that. Well, let's. Uh, we'd like to go to our halftime here. It's 12:30 already, and we've got through half of the, a uh, little more than half of the thematic areas. And I know there's a lot more we'd like to talk about. So, we're going to take a break. Thank our sponsors. We've got Glenn Feldman with us today. He's going to do a couple quick news stories, and then we'll be right back with you. Thank you. All right. Association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com.
1: The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org.
4: And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com.
1: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com.
4: And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com.
1: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com.
4: and of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at com and cmmonline.com.
1: Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services.
4: All right, let's get Glenn Fellman on the line. I don't think we have your music today, Glenn, but we can just jump right into it. Hello, Glenn. Hello? Oh, well, we do have one. <laughs> oh, Glenn, I love it. All right. Austin came up with something for you there. Hello, Glenn. Welcome.
3: Oh, man. Wait till you get the copyright letter on that. <laughs> we
4: won't use it anymore.
1: <laughs> I need a good attorney in Washington. I know
4: you're
3: yeah, it. there you go. What's next? I nice? can refer- <laughs> Well, what's news? Uh, a lot of things in the news uh, this week. Um, you know, the one that uh, you can you can watch unfold before your eyes right now is the flooding, the amazing flooding that's happening in the uh, central part of our country, really all the way up from the, 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 the northern uh, Midwest, straight down, uh, getting its way to slam its way through Louisiana. We've got towns that are underwater. We've got Uh, a hundred-year flood plan, uh, floodgates that are about to be opened up in Louisiana that are going to wipe out thousands of of small residences. Uh, They're going to put farms underwater, and in theory, uh, that will save the cities of Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Nonetheless, they are saying that the amount of water coming down uh, the Mississippi uh, into New Orleans, if it were all allowed to reach it, would exceed the amount of water that came the other direction during Hurricane Katrina. So this is, this is flooding of catastrophic proportions, uh, coming on the heels of a spring where we've had the, the, the most active tornado uh, season in the month of April ever recorded in this country. Catastrophe restoration uh, firms are, are up to their eyeballs in business, and so are the IAQ consultants and mold remediators and other people who work with them. So it's a, a tragic time for our country, and a lot of people are really hurting. Uh, on the flip side, uh, we all know some people who are out there to help those folks who are um, in distress right now, and uh, we wish them all Godspeed. That's my first story for you. Oh,
4: it's it's uh, that's an important one, Glenn. Thanks for thanks for including that.
3: Yep. Second one uh, coming in a little bit closer into the industry uh, is you, we've been following work in Florida by the Florida House to deregulate a number of professions, over 20 different professions and industries. They wanted to either eliminate the regulations form or, or drastically uh, reduce the requirements of the regulations. And mold-related services was in, lumped in there in that group. Uh, the Florida bill that would have radically scaled back the regulation of, of mold-related services like remediation and assessment failed to win uh, the expected approval that we thought we would see it by the Florida Senate and uh, members of the Senate were angry because they had not been consulted about the implications of the deregulation bill before it was brought to a vote. Last Friday, there was an open revolt. Uh, you can read about it in the Miami Herald in the in, in Tallahassee in the Florida Legislature, uh, when senators soundly rejected the pared-back professional deregulation measure, which had drawn vocal and sometimes actual tearful opposition from groups like interior designers, uh, who had enlisted a clutch of top-shelf lobbyists in their cause. The Senate voted down the measure uh, 32 to 6. Only the leaders of the Senate voted with the losing side, and uh, there were two bills, HB 5007 and 5005. They were both defeated. What that means is that if you provide mold-related services, i.e. remediation or assessment, in the state of Florida, you are currently required to hold a license. That's been the case since March. And enforcement of that regulation begins in June, which means if you don't have a license and you're doing that kind of mold work now, you are breaking the law, although uh, theoretically there's nobody to come and stop you. But starting in July, there will be. So for all those people who uh, uh, need to get licensed, I encourage you to visit the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulations, or DBPR website, uh, easily found through Google. Uh, But that's a big story. And I want to just put a shout-out a lot of people have been tracking this, sharing information on this. Uh, the, the chapter directors of the Indoor Air Quality Association have been wonderful uh, with, with uh, ears on the ground in Tallahassee. But one guy, a member of IAQA and, and other groups, John Lapaterre, uh, has been doing a wonderful job blogging on this on almost a daily basis and keeping people up to date so they don't have to slog through the Uh, the government websites and and, and figure it out what's happened. John was a a tremendous uh, person for bringing information to a variety of people in this effort. So great job, John LaPiterre.
4: A regular listener, by the
1: way. He's probably doing all his blog and not answering trivia questions.
4: (laughs) (laughs) He's been a little behind on trivia lately. (laughs) He's
3: been busy. He's been busy. Now that this has passed, maybe he'll get back. All right. Two more quick stories. Uh, One is about a HUD program to fund HVAC improvements. Uh, This just came out in the last uh, month or so. 18 national, regional, and local lenders will participate in a new two-year pilot program that will offer qualified borrowers who live in certain parts of the country uh, a low-cost loan to make energy-saving improvements, including new HVAC systems and duct sealing. This is backed by the Federal Housing Administration and it's called the Power Saver Loan Program. It offers up to 25000 to make energy-efficient improvements in a home. That could be insulation, duct sealing, replacing doors and windows, HVAC systems, water heaters, solar panels, geothermal, the whole thing. According to HUD projections, uh, this will create 30,000 jobs, and uh, the impact could be a lot larger if market demand for the loan program increases and it receives more funding. You can read about that at hud.gov. Lastly, we've talked about bed bugs a number of times on this show. I've talked about bed bugs in the news, and they're back uh, in the news. That is, yeah. a peer-reviewed study published Wednesday of this week in a journal in the U. of the U.S. Centers in Disease Control and Prevention suggests that bed bugs could play a role in transmitting disease, and that's contrary to all previous thought on bed bugs. They were thought to be fairly innocuous, except for their bite. In a tiny sample of bed bugs collected from a small number of residents living in crowded conditions in in a, a lower class uh, lower income, excuse me, uh, neighborhood of Canada, researchers found um, MRSA in the bugs. And they tested three patients in Vancouver, from a neighborhood that was infested with bed bugs., uh, they collected five bed bugs that determined that the insects carried two types of drug-resistant bacteria. There was MRSA, and then there was also what's called VRE, acronym police, don't get me, because I couldn't pronounce it if I tried. Uh, Vancouver, like New York, Washington, and a host of other cities has had a disturbing increase in bed bugs in recent years. Uh, experts say that the resurgence is related to greater domestic and international travel, uh, as well as the uh, uh, elimination or eradication in the 40s and 50s of, of uh, DDT. Actually, DDT excuse me, was banned in the 70s. They got rid of bed bugs in the 40s and 50s, and they're back because they uh, don't have an effective, effective way to get rid of them. There's been a lot of conversation about the use of heat to uh, kill bed bugs. I know a lot of the listeners of this show and some of the product manufacturers who help support those listeners are working on new systems, uh, whether they be chemical or heat based. Uh, whoever finds the magic bullet to get bed bugs out of homes and apartments is, is going to be a rich man or woman. That's it.
4: Thank you, Glenn. Can you join us for the roundup? I'd be glad to. Great. We'll bring you back. All right. Dr. Corsi, let's get back with you, and uh, thanks for your patience there. Do we still have you on the line? I'm here. Thanks. All right. Great. Let's move on to, um, because I'd like to get to the roundup uh, kind of early today and do some free form here. But anyway, you have another thematic area. It's called social imperatives, IEQ and affordable housing, environmental justice. Can you give listeners a little overview of what that's about?
2: Yeah. So it's, you know, these are issues that oftentimes don't get discussed at major conferences, but basically issues of environmental justice, um, facts that sometimes, Uh, People that are at the lower socioeconomic end of the spectrum don't have the same resources as as others do to solve their problems, solve indoor air quality problems, solve indoor environmental quality problems. We have a great plenary speaker. Uh, We have two great plenary speakers on Wednesday, and one of them is uh, Beverly Wright. And Beverly is one of the most recognized people in the United States on environmental justice issues. She runs the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice and was very involved with Issues uh, related to environmental justice, for example, after Katrina, um, you know, looking at issues with uh, lower-income housing and remediation of, you know, higher-income schools and that type of thing, and not lower income after Katrina. And so th- these are the kinds of issues that are wrapped up in in the societal imperatives issue.
4: Cliff, do you want to take I'll, the next one?
1: Sure. Uh, what about improvement motivators?
4: Improvement
2: motivators—the uh, the term <laughs> emerged because the technical chair of the conference and I had had no good way, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of um, lumping in uh, topics that all basically go to the same thing: was how do we get people um, and sometimes even policymakers to make decisions that that involve improvement of the indoor environment? You know, whether it be regulations or lawsuits um or uh, education of the public, cost analysis surveys, you know all those things that that are just information that's needed to actually take action um, and I think Glenn in the previous piece discussed some of those types of things um, but it's really kind of the more than the non-technical is more as the information transfer, communication um, and argument for change And so we've wrapped a, a bunch of sessions, Dealing with all those issues into that general topic of improvement motivators.
4: Yeah, this next one looks interesting to me. It's innovative solutions. And uh, the description, the short description, is source reduction, low energy air purification, safe building decontamination. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, sure. This is an area that I think also brings researchers and practitioners together because, uh, you know, practitioners are on the front line, they're out there doing what they need to do to improve the quality of building environments and oftentimes have you know great examples of case studies they've been involved with, whether it be for remediation of mold or whatever in a home or, or even applications of some new induct you know, control technologies with positive results. And then there are a lot of researchers that are working on new technologies, um, and the one that comes to mind off the top of my head are, are a large number of papers, actually, at the conference that deal with trying to develop materials that can be used indoors passively so that there's no need for electricity or you know, no energy penalty. Uh, materials that can actually remove pollutants from indoor air, either catal- catalytically oxidizing them, you know, removing them and destroying them, or just, uh, just absorbing them and getting them out of the air. And sometimes those materials can be reused and regenerated. So um, a good area for a mix of, of of cutting-edge research and also great, you know, uh, case studies from the field.
4: Okay. The next one we, we did mention, that was innovations in practice, and that's, I guess, again, where you want to bring the researchers and the uh, practitioners together. Can you give us a, a little overview of maybe one of the more interesting papers or topics from that section?
2: So, yeah, we have uh, on Monday and Tuesday is where we've, we've really – developed a lot of the forums and workshops um, that are um, kind of the innovations and in practice forums and workshops, and we've, we've done those on Monday and Tuesday because we know that you know a lot of practitioners may not be able to stay the entire week at the conference, and also the Indoor Air Quality Association is having their, I think, their mid-year business meeting just before indoor air, so it gives an opportunity for those that want to stay for a couple of days to stay at least at the start of the conference of indoor air. Um, and some of those forums and workshops, I think we've already mentioned a couple of them, like the position informed assessments. We have one that I think is really good. In fact, your previous speaker, Glenn Feldman, is involved with this and, and, and a number of others that I'm sure are, are familiar with this program called uh, Professional Practice of Indoor Environmental Quality Consulting. Um, that one's on Tuesday, I believe, at the conference. But the goal of that workshop, and it is a workshop, so it's a, it's a two-hour event, is to define the Principal characteristics, if you will, of what 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 a true professional-level indoor environmental quality consultant is or should be, um, and so um, it's going to address issues like questionable industry credentials, the level of education and experience that's really needed to be a professional-level indoor environmental quality consultant, um, what is meaningful continuing education. Um, and that type of thing. And I know they've built into that workshop a lot of time for audience participation, so I expect that workshop, for example, um, there's going to be a lot of people with different points points of view and lots of opinions, and that should be a fun workshop.
1: Yeah, I I think probably the most important one um, in the list is the last one, uh, fundamentals.
3: Yeah, the
2: fundamentals is something that this conference has always been strong on, and by fundamentals we mean um, better understanding sources of indoor air pollutants, you know, why, why does formaldehyde come rapidly out of some materials and not rapidly out of other materials, um, how much phthalates, you know, endocrine disruptors come out of plastic products and different plastic products in homes, and what affects the rate at which they come out. And then there's chemistry, a lot of biology, which I already mentioned, uh, and the biology goes the spectrum from, like I said, very practical all the way to cutting-edge research on uh, molecular methods that are used, you know, genomic techniques that are used to better understand uh, the nature of biological organisms and buildings. There's a couple of papers that are being presented on Thursday in a molecular methods methods uh, session, for example, that basically come right out and state that, that the culture-based techniques we've been using for mold sampling uh, for the last three or four decades, miss about 97% of what's there. And that molecular methods um, can give you much greater insight related to the nature of microorganisms in a building. And what's exciting, I think, about that topic for practitioners is that these molecular method techniques are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and a lot more commercial laboratories are actually able to do them now. Um, And so I think this is one of those areas where you know, if practitioners really care to see what's coming down the pipeline for the next several years, this is this is a hot area, and it's something that I think practitioners can learn from researchers that are at the cutting edge. We actually have J. Craig Venter, who's, you know, he was one of the first ones to crack the human genome, one of the most famous scientists in the world, and he's one of the keynote speakers on Wednesday morning. And Craig will essentially um, launch this, this whole series of sessions and workshops on molecular
3: methods.
4: You know, that's something I know we had talked briefly or emailed back and forth briefly about. I'm glad you you were able to mention his keynote. But also there's a workshop called Microbiomes of Built Environment. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is?
2: Yeah. um, The Alfred Sloan Foundation in New York City is actually sponsoring all of the sessions and the workshop on molecular methods for biological analysis and they have a huge new initiative that's funded by the sloan foundation called microbiomes of the built environment and it's really focused on using these new cutting-edge techniques to better understand uh, the dynamics of microorganisms in buildings for example if you take a new building and you follow it over time does the community of microorganisms change? Does it evolve? How does it evolve? How do microorganisms interact with one another? What does that mean for building occupants? How much of the bacteria do we we find in buildings actually come from the occupants themselves versus other sources, you know, food that's brought into the house? Um, Those types of questions. And the workshop uh, on microbiomes of built environments will start with two speakers. uh, I know Nevalainen from Finland, who's one of the you know big names in our field over the last several decades studying microorganisms and buildings, she'll talk about everything we've learned in the last three decades, trying to do that in a half an hour. <laughs> um, but basically, what are the important things we've learned from culture-based techniques? And then Jonathan Eisen, who's from the University of California, Davis, is going to talk about these new emerging tools and how we might use them to fill some of the knowledge gaps that I know identifies. And From there, there's going to be a series of breakout groups um, funded by the Sloan Foundation, and they'll come back and present to the entire conference what they believe are the continuing knowledge gap areas where we need more research, and kind of define the types of research that needs to be done and the timelines by which you know we might get answers to some to some of the questions that have eluded us for decades.
4: We've got about. Eight to ten minutes left here, and I think what we'd like to do is go to the roundup and bring Dr. Wow on and bring Glenn Feldman back in and just kind of go around the horn one more time here, Dr. Corsi, and wrap things up. Great. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw, high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride right him in, raw, high. Let's bring Dr. Wow in. Hello, Dr. Patrick yes, Wow. <laughs> that sounds good. 300 years later, yeah. Some things don't get old, huh?
0: Well, I had... I had an empty sheet of paper <laughs> about an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. It's
4: full now, huh?
0: It doesn't it doesn't matter.
4: Cliff's block uh, congratulations
0: pages. to Andy. I hope I hope he's not the only listener. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. No. Uh, I got he's a bunch he's of back. He's he back. is good. And Andy is a dear friend of mine. I know him for about ten or so years. And he is a very astute uh, young gentleman and is working in the area of uh, industrial hygiene and occupational health. That doesn't matter. I, uh, and by the way, Dr. Corsi, excellent. I think particularly the young practitioners should go to those meetings for two reasons. You mentioned uh, mentioned all the forums and all of that. But, I and Joe knows that, and I know that. Every time we have a class, after the first day, nobody talks to each other. After the third day, say, hey, wait a second, how are you doing? Yeah. It is amazing how much you can uh, learn, even after the formal presentations. I certainly encourage that. The one thing that I read between the lines And that is a topic and and, uh, a thing I have been doing for almost my whole professional life in the area of uh, occupational health and environmental health. (coughs) Uh, Dr. Corsi uh, mentioned it. Uh, Glenn Feldman mentioned it. But it wasn't really... uh, 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 Nobody put an accent on it and my thing is ventilation it is unbelievable how many problems i solved in this world with good and designed in uh, ventilation and uh, we mentioned that uh, last week and we mentioned it today again i have dear friends in ghana uh, they don't they don't know what propane is they don't know what a stove is they cook by and large, outside with charcoal. And when it is not raining, (laughs) that is the slight problem. Now they go inside their huts. There is no ventilation, no nothing, but they got to eat, so they got to cook, they got to watch that. That brings me back to the first and most serious warning on a consumer product in the United States. And that was when I was a graduate stu- a student, which was in 18, 18- no, 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 wait, not 18. It's ni- 1970-ish or thereabouts. I bought the first bag of what? It was a bag on which was written, if you don't use it correctly, you will be dead. What was it?
4: You got
0: me but, uh, Joe, you ought to know. I told you that one.
4: Back in 70?
0: Yep. It was charcoal. Uh, Remember uh, when uh, it yeah. was cool for all the hippies to have a hibachi in their house? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. yeah. Yep. And what did you put in the hibachi? You tell me. A uh, little charcoal. Uh, you gotta watch. I had a hibachi. I was a hippie. Yeah, I had it on my porch. I didn't have it indoors. <laughs> the other thing, and again, we saw, uh, and the other thing we touched on is history of indoor air. Indoor air pollution and indoor air quality has not been invented in the last 10 years, it's around for 2,000, 3,000 years. And the one thing, and then I will shut up, that I see over here, yes. The one thing that still surprises me until today is any problem with formaldehyde. I was in the business of introducing for a little company called the Bayer Chemical Corporation, polyurethane foam for insulation, and our biggest, and at the time, yeah, our biggest uh, competitor uh, were the formaldehyde people? They knew that there was a, a, a chemical that wasn't right. That was the phenol formaldehyde, and then they came later on with uh, no, that was the not the phenol formaldehyde, was the later one, which was a little bit more stable. I cannot believe that in the year of 2011 we are still talking about the problems of formaldehyde in the house. That, is, that, to me, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We know what it is. It's almost like talking about it. Is cigarette smoke good or bad for you? I think we all know the answer to that one, and I don't have to repeat it over here. But that is almost the same that I see over here. And now I shall shut
4: Thank thank you, Dr. Weil. Let's let's get uh, Dr. Corsi, do you have any comment on what Dr. Weil said? And then I want to make sure Glenn gets a chance to ask a question.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think Dr. Weil is exactly right on his statement about indoor air quality problems being around for thousands of years. I mean, one can trace back probably the earliest major indoor air quality problems when early humans decided it was a good idea to bring fire into caves. And you can imagine a lot of Carbon monoxide poisoning in caves back in those days, um, but I, I want to reinforce also what Dr. Weil said, and that is the unvented cookstoves in developing countries. I think people in the United States and developed countries don't realize that half the world's population, roughly half the world's population, three billion people, are still, you know, cooking, you know, c- cooking with dung and wood and charcoal. Indoors, and the conditions are not that different than early cavemen, who brought fire into their caves. It's you know that issue is responsible. I think the estimates for about four percent of global mortality now, you know, four wow. percent of all the deaths in the world are from in- infections of the respiratory system associated with cooking indoors. So it's a huge issue, and we really haven't come that far in half of the world. Uh, the last several thousand years we're still doing what early humans did and it killed them and it's killing us today or killing people around the world today
4: and and it's fascinating we're we're kind of going full circle now we're adding unvented fireplaces and unvented uh, heating units to homes again and um, they drive me crazy I'll be honest with you and and of course we still have gas stoves so I don't know how far we've progressed in that area but uh, certainly the, the exposures are much lower than they are in in the half the world that's using the types, I,
2: of I'd also like to add that you know I agree that you know formaldehyde has been an issue for a long time. We've actually made some progress in our country, but if you look at other countries around the world, that that they haven't made the same progress as us. You can still go into apartments in South Korea and you know find formaldehyde concentrations of five hundred, six hundred parts per billion routinely. So other parts of the world are still suffering from what you know, kinds of levels
4: that we used to be exposed to in our country. I think we lost Glenn. Glenn, do we still no. have Okay, great. Glenn, I know you had another question. Please. Uh, my question is for
3: Dr. Corsi. sort of a two-part question. Um, we've all watched uh, the tragedies unfold in Japan over the last uh, couple months, and I know uh, the Japanese have some great indoor-air quality researchers. The first part of the question is uh, whether you think those folks are going to make it out to Indoor 2011. And the second part of the question is, given the fact that you have so many hundreds of thousands of people who are in this uh, radioactive zone who are being told to stay indoors, will there be any type of topics about radiation exposure in the indoor environment?
2: Those are great questions, Glenn. Let me, me, before I answer them, say that... um Glenn has been very kind to us as the organizers of of Indoor Air 2011 and has given us us a forum at Indoor Air Quality Association events in the past, and IAQA is a major sponsor of our conference. So thanks to Glenn before I answer the question. Um, The issues of Japan. So we received uh, the third most papers we received from any countries were from Japan. Uh, The most were from the United States and then China and third Japan. We had roughly 100 papers that were submitted from Japan and fortunately, um, uh, only two of those papers that were accepted were, will not be presented at the conference because of what happened there. The you know, horrific conditions of what happened there. We contacted all of the authors after after the tsunami and nuclear meltdown, um, you know, and just told them we were thinking about them. Told them they could have extra time to to you know submit their papers. And fortunately, it it appears that none of them were. None of them or their families were, were hurt by what happened uh, physically, but some of them lost their research laboratories and lost their homes. Um, so you know, very aware of that. Um, the, the question about radiation uh, is a great one, and there, we had some discussion about possibly having a special forum or something of that nature uh, on radionuclides Uh, Radioactive particles. There was even uh, one person at the University of Texas, one of my colleagues, who was trying to see if he could get um, HVAC filters uh, shipped here from Japan to test them for radiation. Um, But unfortunately, this has all happened. It's been such a short time since that's happened, it's been hard to put all those things together. I am absolutely sure there'll be discussion of it in breakout groups and that type of thing at the conference. We might even be able to, to have some discussion of it at the uh, Wednesday lunch period. We left Wednesday lunch period open on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday. We have other things going on at lunch. So something might come together, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. All
4: right. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. We appreciate you sticking around and joining us for the roundup. Also, Dr. Corsi, before we go, Cliff, do you have anything you wanted to add or you want me to, Okay, let me uh, just ask that. Before we go, is there anything that you would like to add for listeners, or anything that, obviously we can't possibly cover all the great things you have going on down there in early June, but I just want to make sure if there's anything we missed or that you'd like to add, you get that opportunity.
2: Uh, sure. Um, first of all, so we will have an advertisement, we have an advertisement in the May issue of IE Connections, so um, if anybody missed the website that I, you know, rattled off earlier, that's that's listed in that advertisement, that announcement, IE Connections. We also have a great group of exhibitors at the conference. It's a pretty select group of about 30 exhibitors, and I think it's a nice group that's going to be of interest to both practitioners and researchers. Uh, And we have a great group of sponsors. I'm not going to rattle all of them off. I mentioned IAQA, but we have a great group of sponsors from the U.S. EPA to to HUD to uh, National Science Foundation, Sloan Foundation, and others. But... If you go to our website, you can see all of the wonderful people that are helping to make this conference a
4: possibility. Well, thank you for your hard work. I know this is a a major task that you've been working on here, and it looks like things are coming together beautifully. I look forward to at least waving to you in Austin. I know you'll be pulled to the side by quite a few people, but uh, I'll try and get at least a word in edgewise and say hello. I hope so. Thanks Thanks again. Okay. This is Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Dr. Rich Corsi of the University of Texas at Austin, and also the president of Indoor Air 2011. Looking forward to the show. And we appreciate him joining us again on IAQ Radio to discuss this year's big event. It only comes around every, uh, I don't know, it's three probably years. been every three years, but uh, in the United States, I think it's been nine or 12 years. So. It's great to uh, have this event this year and be in Texas. We'll see everybody there. I also want to make sure I thank our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, as always, for joining us. Glenn Feldman for this week's IE Connections What's News. Of course, my co-host, the Z-Man. Uh, our engineer, Austin Stone Cold Novak. And you, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us again next week for the next episode of IAQ Radio. Yeah. <laughs>
1: This has been another IAQ Radio production.
2: Call recording
3: has been completed.